So today, we are going to be continuing our spiritual gifts sermon series and talking about how the spiritual gifts affect the body of Christ and how they're to be used um, within the body of Christ, how they benefit us personally, and how they benefit the entire body. So as we continue our series, we're going to see how God is going to use them, not only for our own benefit, but within the body of Christ, and see the beauty of the unity and the diversity through the gifts that he gives us. And one of the questions I had when I first became a Christian was, why doesn't God just give everybody all the spiritual gifts? Why doesn't he essentially put an S on our chest for spiritual or Superman and just make us all Superman and Superwoman? We have all of the gifts. Well, God didn't, under, God didn't design his church that way. In his wisdom, he's made us very interdependent upon each other. Each one of us have different giftings. And they all come together to form one body of Christ. In fact, if you think about it, that's the way he's made his entire creation. Every planet in our solar system is dependent upon the other planets to maintain alignment, to maintain our orbits around the sun. Every plant needs a number of things to grow. It can't just take one thing and make it grow. It needs good ground to develop a root system. It needs the sun to start the chemical reaction between chlorophyll and water that yields glucose and oxygen that provides the air that we breathe. You take out one of those ingredients and the plant dies. And if the plants die, we all die. We're all interdependent. I learned in anatomy and physiology, allow me to express my nerdism for a moment, but in anatomy and physiology, you know you have like five or six different organs that control your blood pressure? They all contribute a small part to it. It starts in your kidneys. Your kidneys produce, or sense that there's not a, a lot of pressure within your veins. They release a chemical called renin. Your liver is also always producing a chemical called angiotensin, and those two meet up in your bloodstream form a chemical called angiotensin 1. Angiotensin 1 just starts circulating through the bloodstream. It doesn't do anything. It just kind of sits there until it comes up into your lungs. The surface part of the little sacs in your lungs called the alveoli produce a chemical called angiotensin-converting enzyme, or ACE. Anybody ever heard of an ACE inhibitor? Medication for blood pressure. That's exactly what that's targeting, is it makes those, um, those sacs in your lungs not produce that converting enzyme that changes angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. That's, by the way, why you cough. Anybody ever taken an ACE inhibitor and had a cough? That's why, because the same um, cells in your lungs that produce that ACE inhibitor or ACE converting enzyme also produces surfactant, which keeps your lungs expanded. That's why you have that cough. So angiotensin II is a very potent vasoconstrictor. We can actually use it in the ICU to increase the blood pressure. This makes your Blood vessels very narrow and increases your blood pressure that way. Angiotensin II, when it's detected in the bloodstream in your adrenal glands, produces aldosterone. Aldosterone goes back to the kidneys and says, hey, hold on to all the water and the salt. And that also increases your blood pressure. You see the interconnection there of how God has not has made our bodies to be totally in, interconnected with one another? You might think, well, what does my lungs have to do with my blood pressure? A big part of it, actually. 
So it is with the body of Christ. We are all part of a body that needs the other parts of the body to work properly. And that's the main point of what I want to talk about today. And what I want you to have in the back of your head as we read today's scripture. We're going to cover the rest of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to cover the rest of that chapter in a few different slices. We're going to start out with verses 12 through 19. Verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So even the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It, for, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he has wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? And Father, I just ask, Lord, that you take this message and that you use it to help us understand both our place in the body of Christ and the importance of our place in the body of Christ and how we are not just a singer, we are not just a cleaner, we are not just an usher, we are a vital part even with the bad parts of ourselves, we bring a vital part to the body of Christ. Help us to understand that today. Help us to appreciate it and help us to live it as we study your word. I ask this in your name. Amen. Now our primary thought for this message is this. There is great unity in diversity. And this unity and diversity is necessary, absolutely necessary, for both your personal health and your spiritual growth. And it's not only for your growth, but for the growth of the entire body of Christ. You know the proverb, as one man sharpens another, we all need each other to help grow in Christ and help just get through this thing we call life. And this thought answers the, the initial question I had when I first got saved. How come God doesn't make us all spiritual supermen and superwomen who can just do everything? The simple matter is, if he did that, we wouldn't need each other. Human pride would set in and there would be no unity within his body. We would just be a bunch of free agents out there seeing who could be the most spiritual. And the premise behind this idea is the simple fact that at the center of all creation, we have to, and it's, it's a point that's at the center of all creation, you have to remember that we are made in God's image. We are a spiritual being in a physical body, makes up a soul that God interacts with. And between those three parts, there should not be any disunity at all. Again, we're made in God's image, a triune being. Just as God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so we are a triune being. 
And that's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, when he said, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul recognized that we needed unity within our own body, soul, and spirit so we could live victoriously in Christ. It was a central point in his teachings. I also want to point out something else. That we need to be unified as a body and unified in our own spirit because the enemy forces coming against you are completely unified. There's no division in the kingdom of darkness. You don't hear a group of demons deciding, you know, I really don't like the way Lucifer is leading us. Let's go start our own hell. You don't see that in the kingdom of darkness. Jesus taught us that. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus deals with a person possessed by a demon. And he casts that demon out. This person is now completely well, completely healed, sitting there in his right mind. And the religious leaders of his time see that, and they say, in Matthew chapter 12, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus replied to that, saying, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, how do your, or by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this is why unity is so important when we talk about spiritual gifts. These gifts are supposed to be proof to the outside world that God's kingdom is indeed coming among them. And it's carried with us as we live our life. And I think sometimes the church has a tendency to think about the wrong things. And it causes us to run on the wrong track toward a wrong finish line. We worry so much about our health and our wealth, our prosperity, and our lives here on this earth that we forget that this is not our home. When we came to Christ, we switched final destinations. We switched homesteads. I mean, yes, a lot of us have very nice homes here. A lot of us have very nice lives here. Nothing wrong with that. But when your focus is completely on this life, you lose out all the riches that Christ wants to pour out in you. And that's why I hate that prosperity gospel so much. The prosperity gospel teaches that God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and to live your best life here on earth instead of equipping you with the armor of God and sending you out to battle the kingdom of darkness. That is gospel. That is biblical Christianity. To bring the goodness of God's kingdom to those who are living in darkness. That's what Christ expects of us. To use the spiritual gifts He's given us to show people the love and the mercy of God and to point them toward Jesus for healing. Tammy and I came to salvation in a very healthy and thriving church. I've talked about it 
a lot. When we got saved, we had a church of over 800 people in a facility that would probably, if we built it today, it would probably be at least $10 million. I think we built it for 950. They were just finishing it when we got there. However, about a year and a half after we started going there, a group of people rose up within that church who had the wrong idea of what the spiritual gifts were used for. Many of them used them to to promote themselves and their own spirituality. They said, hey, look at me, look how I'm flowing in the spirit. Or I've had a vision about this. Or the pastor's wrong because God told me that. And over the course of a couple years, the church went from 800 to 30. Because it just destroyed it so much. Because there was no unity in those diversity of the gifts. They wanted to hoard it all for themselves. And they spiritualized that. Those 30 people, and they were there, and we were bringing up, we're like, we're destroying this church. We're destroying this church. No, those people just weren't as spiritual as we are. We're the ones following God. It was the excuse. But that's not biblical. That's not biblical. It's not what Christ came to do. He came to unite us as a body of Christ. And it's, it says so right in 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 18 it says that, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? Anybody like doing puzzles? I used to love doing puzzles. And my, my mom or dad or aunt or whoever I was living with that year would always get me puzzles because it kept me quiet. And I loved doing puzzles. And one time they got me a puzzle that showed a, a big deer, big buck standing in a river in the woods. It reminded me of Hayward, so I loved it. And... I went, to my, I went to my room, and I'm putting it together, and as I put it together, I realized it was missing a lot of pieces. They had gotten it from a garage sale, and the part that showed the buck's head, all those pieces were missing. Do you know how disappointing that is when you finally put a thousand-piece puzzle together, and those pieces, the, the whole subject of the, of the puzzle is missing? But see, that's how the world views the church. When people refuse to use their giftings to benefit the body of Christ. It's how we see each other when we don't allow people to function in the giftings that God has given them. We're missing pieces of the puzzle. And you get an incomplete picture of the glory of God and how it's supposed to exist in our lives. And then the kingdom of God suffers violence, as the Bible says. It's not good for the church as a whole. It's not good for you and me as individuals in the church. One of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Matthew 25. Because Jesus really encapsulates the kingdom of God in this chapter. And in 25.14, Jesus gives an example of three servants who were given various amounts of treasure by their master to care for it as he went away. Two of the servants were wise and used what their master had given them to earn a profit, to present it back to the master when he called them in for a report of what they did with what he had given them. Since they had a return on the investment, they were rich or 
rewarded richly and received much praise. But one of the servants took and buried his treasure. Or as some Bible translations say, refused to use his talents for the master because he didn't trust his master's character or sense of honor to reward him in using it for him. And that servant received a severe rebuke and in essence was fired for not using what the master gave him to increase his master's kingdom. So it will be for you and I if we don't use what God has given us to enrich his body, the church, and his kingdom throughout the world. One final illustration on this point. And this is not political, so when you hear this name, don't think I'm talking politics. Just listen to the whole thing. Several years ago, President Barack Obama gave a speech defending his plan to raise taxes for infrastructure and social programs to, to help improve everybody's life. He made a statement that created a social media firestorm. It's still being used today on social media. When he said this statement, he said, you didn't build that, talking about businesses. He said, other people did that. Other people helped you to build what you have. Well, in our social media culture where we can't have an extent, uh, attention pa uh, span past five seconds, they cut that off right there. And to a conservative, I would consider myself a, a fairly conservative person. That was like red meat to a dog. Everybody pounced on that statement. The talking heads scream nightly at us about how un-American it is to think that way. It spoke to me personally. I, I started out so far behind in life just because of my upbringing. I didn't even know there was a racetrack to run on, much less a finish line or a starting line. I came broken home that had rampant drug use, my mom's abusive boyfriends, high school dropout. Yet by God's grace and his leading, I eventually turned my life around by a lot of effort and hopefully stand before you today as a fairly decent citizen. And for Barack Obama to say that all my effort was other people's do doing infuriated me because I believe I'm an American. I can go from the ghetto to at least the middle class, if not higher, if I just put in the work and I work for what I want. And I do actually do believe that. But then after a few years, I really thought about it. And as a conservative, I, it does pain me a little bit to say this, but he was actually right if you apply this spiritually. First and foremost, anything I have in life right now is because of the grace and glory of God through Jesus Christ. Somebody else did that. Jesus. When I surrendered my life to him, I had nothing. I was a nobody. I didn't even have a car. We lived on the other side of town from church, and when I say other side of town, nine miles from church, you know, big city. No way really to get there. Barely even able to support my family, living paycheck to paycheck in an entry-level job because I wasn't qualified for anything else, high school dropout. But you know what the church did? Church sent a bus or arranged rides every single time we wanted to come to church. It didn't matter if it was a prayer meeting. It didn't matter if it was to help clean. It didn't matter if it was for special services. 
somebody would be there, beep, beep, coming to get us and take us home. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here today. Knowing I had a low-paying job, several members of my church worked in an electronics factory, got me a job. Now I was making a lot more, almost double, minimum wage. I was able to support my family. I was able to start getting ahead. They gave me rides to work. One of them lived on the Illinois border almost and came all the way to the north side of Kenosha to give me a ride to work for two years. Somebody else did that for me to make sure I could keep my job because it was in Pleasant Prairie. That was pretty far away from my house. Somebody did that for me. It even made me get enough money to support our family and go to paramedic school. GI Bill wouldn't cover paramedic school because it wasn't accredited at that time. So I, we were able to pay through paramedic school and be able to get more money. Because of my upbringing, lower socioeconomic scale, I was pretty loud, stupid, and, and ignorant in the way I would talk to people. But several men of the church put up with me with that and mentored me, helping me become a man of God. Several of the wealthy members of my church gave, freely gave gifts to us, just out of the blue. One day, a freezer arrived at our house. Some of you moved it in when we moved into the parsonage. That freezer was a gift with just a note of saying, we're proud of where, you, where you're um, growing in Christ. We wanted to help you uh, manage your money better so when you see low sales, you can buy in bulk and put them in the freezer and be able to live off that for a while. I, never, I to this day, don't know who got me that freezer. That's all the note said, just delivered. When I felt that God called me to the ministry, several pastors gave up their entire libraries. Many of you moved in those books. I remember how heavy those books were. Another gave a gift of $3,000 computer program that I still use today. Gave me access to virtually every commentary book and reference available in the year 2000. Even as a paramedic in my civilian career, there are dozens of people. The first year of me being a paramedic, I wanted to quit. There was just too hard. I wasn't comprehending things the way I thought I should. Um, you want to talk about people who eat each other? Firefighters, paramedics, very rough on each other. You're an idiot until you get to about year five in everybody's eyes. and It was just horrible. But there were several people who just took me under their wing. And I stand before you, a very decent paramedic. And eventually on a precipice of becoming an RN now. And I say this because I want you to think back in your life to those people who gave of themselves, who gave their advice, who gave their treasure even, or their talent to help get you to where you are today. Because God has orchestrated all of this for you, for your benefit. We may, I'm not saying that you need to necessarily praise human beings because I believe God was behind those human beings helping you. And now I would encourage you, pay it forward. Pay it forward. Let God use your experiences, your talents, and your treasure to help other people climb up that ladder to become spiritually mature, 
to use their giftings for the betterment of this body of Christ and the world that we live in right now so that everyone can see that goodness of God in their lives. Because we don't want to be a church that sounds like what was being described in verse 21. That said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. The beauty of the gospel is seen when a whole bunch of messed up people get together and still, because of the grace and glory of Jesus Christ, manage to do beautiful things in the name of the kingdom of God. In spite of all their differences, in spite of all their failures, in spite of their past, in spite of their present, they all choose to come together to do good as God's family for His glory. And I want to close today by discussing what we would call the weak brother or sister. There are those in the church that come year after year, and they never seem to move forward in Christ. They go forward, they go backward, they go left, they go right, they leave for a while, they come back. They seem to have no forward relationship in their, in, with God or, or how they act even before the world. When I would meet with a pastoral staff at my last church, we had six pastors on staff, and we would pray for everybody in the church. Every, we had a list that the secretaries would print up, and we would go through that entire list and pray for people in the church. And we would jokingly say, some of these people that just never want to grow or are really stubborn and all that, we would call them the EGRs, the extra grace required people. Because even just talking to them sometimes, you had to be very patient. You had to show a lot of tolerance, long-suffering, and dealing with some of them. In fact, in most families, I bet there's probably a few people in your family you may hesitate to invite to a Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas morning because you know it'll cause drama. There may be a few people that really grind your gears when you're around them and you prefer if they would have a flat tire on the day they said they're coming over to your house. Well, Paul addresses this in the last part of the chapter of how we deal with these people. In verse 22 it says, On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So the next time we see the church member, the family member, the co-worker, the neighbor, that you'd rather just not be around, just remember this. When we in our own lives are at our worst, where we're doing the most awful things we've ever done, 
and committing the most evil that we've ever done. Jesus still went to the cross for you. He loves you at your worst. Even when we are doing evil, even if right now you have in the back of your mind something you know you want to go do that's sinful, he still loves you. He loves you at your worst, but he wants you to come and mature into the very best version of yourself that you can be this side of eternity. That's the glory of the gospel that is supposed to be seen within the body of Christ. That unity and diversity that shows the world the kingdom of God, changing lives and changing eternities.